Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And the whole earth was of one language, or one lip, the margin has, and of one speech, words. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, or eastward, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar. How many know that they still haven't run out of slime? Anyway, let's, let's get on with it. And they said, uh, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now let's go over to a very interesting passage in the prophet uh, Zechariah. Prophet Zechariah chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to read here Zechariah chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 5 through to the close of the chapter. Zechariah 5, verse uh, 5 through to the close of the chapter. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes, and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? That's not manna that we heard about Sunday night. <laughs> Right, uh, back to verse 6. That was just a divergence there. I, and I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, moreover, this is their resemblance throughout all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it in the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then lifted I up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, one was bad enough, but now we've got two here. And the wind was in their stork, and the, the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephah? I want you to pick up verse 11. We'll come back to it in due time. And he said unto me, To build an house in the land of Shina, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base. Okay, let's go back to Genesis chapter 11 now. All right, last, uh, last Thursday in introducing our second series on the uh, gems from Genesis, we spent our evening on the uh, three sons of Noah, a new beginning that began under Noah and the Noahic covenant, and the three sons of Noah who were what? Uh, 
What were the names of Noah's three sons? Number one was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And uh, the prophecies over these three sons involved that Shem would be what sort of a nation or nations? The blessed nations. Ham would be the cursed and servant nations. And Japheth would be the enlarged. And what was the main reason that Ham and his descendants came under the curse? What was the sort of the main reason we were getting across last week? Because of dishonoring his father and everything that's involved in that uh, immoral scene. Now, last week I may have sounded a little bit nationalistic, and I didn't want to, but we've got to see things from God's viewpoint, because today we have the Shemite nations, the Hamite nations, and the Japhetic nations, uh, all of them in their respective uh, places. But uh, I may just throw this in because, as I said last week, in God, origin, uh, uh, the God originating the nations here, we have the origin of the nations, uh, the sons of Shem after their families, tongues in their lands after their nations. Uh, the whole purpose was that God ultimately had in view that he would bless all nations. And it's a very interesting thing, just as we sort of lead on to where we're going tonight, that when we take up these uh, three sons of Noah, I'll just put this down briefly here for where I want to go. Uh, we have Shem, and then uh, in the order that God puts them, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And uh, in the book of Genesis, which we're looking at here, we have the origin of nations, origin of tongues. And as we're going to see, these were tongues of judgment. They were tongues in the origin of the nations, and they were a curse, really, and division. But when we get to Pentecost in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, uh, we have tongues again, but now tongues of blessing. And uh, out of every, every nation, the Jews were gathered out of every nation, we have the nations listed there. So now tongues become uh, actually what happened on the day of Pentecost in the speaking of tongues is a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel in the speaking of tongues. Here they were tongues of confusion. Here they were tongues of unity. Here they were tongues uh, in the origin of nations. Here they were tongues that were going to bless all nations. Uh, here was um, tongues that would scatter people uh, upon the face of the earth. Here were tongues that were going to send people to the, all the nations of the earth to bless them. See, So one is judgment, one is, is the gospel. And just touching on this briefly here, it's interesting to notice what God did in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, we see 3,000 Jews, 5,000 Jews, the Shemite race, uh, nation, part of it anyway, coming in, the gospel coming to them. Then in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip sent down to the desert to preach to an Ethiopian of the line of Ham. And then in Acts chapter 10... And 11, we see uh, Peter sent down to the Italian band. So we have Peter on the day of Pentecost to the Shemite nation, uh, the house of Judah more particularly. Uh, uh, then Philip sent down to uh, the, the desert to an Ethiopian of the line of Ham who receives the gospel. And then we have Peter here sent down to the house of Cornelius uh, who is of the Italian band, the Japhetic races. And so here's the order of the gospel. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So when God did this way back here and we see judgment on the nations, dispersion, it is with an ultimate view to blessing the nations. And so we see in the order in the book of Acts the gospel going first from Shem to Shem, then to Ham. 
the cursed servant races, and then to Japheth. And so the book of Acts sort of balances out something that began here in seed form. So I just wanted to say that because uh, I know I come on pretty heavy and yet not as heavy as I do in class, I can assure you, uh, on the nationalistic scene. But because of uh, uh, national groups and the Ku Klux Klan and a few other things that are happening around, I didn't want you to identify me in that. So I thought I'd better get the gospel in there. Just save my skin. All right, now, what we're looking at here, we are picking out, well, I've just erased him off the board there, but we're coming to something that is seeded in this chapter, and I'll try not to be too heavy in it tonight, but that these things are always so vast to me, uh, studying the Word. Something has its seed in this uh, book of Genesis, in the, in the, in the book of Beginnings, uh, which becomes exceedingly ob obnoxious to God as we go right through. And that is the first city that was founded by Nimrod of Cush of the line of Ham. Let's go to Genesis chapter 10 now and pick this up because this is our theme tonight. We're going to talk about the rebuilding of the city of Babylon. All right, in Genesis 10, verse 6, And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, and Phut. <laughs> Come here, Phut. <laughs> I think you must admit they've got funny names. If I had a name like Phut, I'd change it to Kevin, wouldn't you? Kevin Phut. <laughs> and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Ramah and Sabtacha and the sons of Ramaha, Sheba and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, a mighty hunter of souls in the negative sense. We're coming back to him. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel or Babylon, and uh, Erech and Akkad and Kalmar in the land of Shina. Out of that land went forth Asia and built Nineveh. All right, now the thing that we're picking up here is that we have from this line of Ham here, so this is the line that the servant race, the race that is under the curse, we have Ham, and then from Ham comes Cush, and then from Cush comes Nimrod. And then the beginning of his kingdom is Babel or Babylon. Now, as I said, we're looking at something that begins in the seed form here that is, is a very interesting study. And as we go through the scripture tonight, because we're looking at chapter 10 and chapter 11, leading up to chapter 12 next week, and see what happens, we find that the Bible is actually a tale of two cities. And these two cities are Babylon and Jerusalem. We'll, we'll put this other up in a moment. But I want to sort of just give you a sort of panoramic view of Babylon. Uh, we're only going to pick up a few of the main points from it tonight that God has given us because of all the cities, there's many, many cities mentioned in the Bible, but there are two major cities and these cities are Babylon and Jerusalem. When Babylon is up, 
Jerusalem is down. And when Jerusalem is up, Babylon is down. All the, all the other cities uh, sort of take their uh, place in relation to these cities. We, ha we end up in the book of Revelation, as we probably might get there tonight. Babylon becomes a mother. She's a mother of harlots and a mother of abominations of the earth. And all the other cities take their character and their nature and their spirit from what is established in the mother, like mother, like daughters. And the other city that, as I said, Jerusalem, which is also a mother. Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. We'll fill in some other things later. So we have this tale of two cities right through. Now let's just put down the main chapters because uh, uh, more so of any, uh, than any of the other cities. As I said, all other cities, Jerusalem is the mother and uh, Jerusalem, Judea and the cities of Judah. So Jerusalem is the mother and she has uh, cities, Jerusalem the mother and her daughter cities, the cities of Judah and so forth, all taking their character and spirit and, and nature uh, from the mother. And it's the same over here on the negative side. So uh, concerning the city of Babylon and her daughters, we have the, um, the most information. Let me just put down the main things and then we're just going to pick out some of the, the, the things here tonight. Genesis chapter 10 and 11, we have the origin of Babylon. Ham, servant, cursed, Cush, Nimrod. The origin. Then... The next major chapters we have on this, Isaiah chapter 13 and 14, where we have the description of Lucifer, who is the king of Babylon, king of Babylon. And then we have prophecies of its coming fall. Then we go to Isaiah chapter 47 and 48, Next two chapters in this, and this speaks of the pride and the witchcrafts, occultism, let's put it as occult, the witchcrafts of this city. Now we, as we see today, we're, we're looking at something historical and it's something because spiritually speaking, we're living in a Babylonish condition today, to say the least. When everything that began in the seed form, as we'll see, is just coming to its consummation here. So we have its pride and uh, witchcrafts and astrologers, monthly prognosticators, and all forms of witchcraft that we see abounding today uh, in Babylon. And then we have prophecies of its fall, its judgment under God. Then the next uh, major chapters that are given to Babylon are Daniel uh, chapters 1 through to 5. Very interesting again to see this connection here. Uh, we have Babylon in its height from glory, the glory of the kingdoms. Thou art this head of gold, the glory of the kingdoms. And then we have its fall. And the interesting thing that happens here is that Babylon falls in relation to a golden candlestick and the gifts of the Spirit, unknown tongues and interpretation. Now, tongues began at Babylon... Here God has a golden candlestick because in the fall of Babylon we have the hand, the sign of the hand writing in unknown tongues on the wall and it needed a Jew to interpret it. The 
Uh, none of those things are accidental, are they? And remember that when Peter writes, he writes to the church, he says, the church which is, uh, which is at Babylon greeteth you. The church at Babylon. That's a fitting description today. Then we come to this very peculiar prophecy of Zechariah 5, where I believe, and we'll see how far we get tonight, that we have a prophecy that Babylon is to be rebuilt. The rebuilding of Babylon. Now I say this, repeat it again, I know that there are lots of expositors that say that it'll never be rebuilt again. Well, we'll have a look at some interesting things. And then when we get to the book of Revelation, so we've, we've started with the book of Genesis, the seed book, the origin of Babylon, tracing its history through the Bible, Lucifer king of Babylon, its fall, its pride, the occult fall, glory and fall, rebuilding of Babylon. Revelation 17, we have a woman that is called Babylon, and then in Revelation chapter 18, we have a city that is called Babylon. And we want to look at the distinction between the woman and the city. Though they have the same name, there's a distinction between the woman and the city. So I've just given you a panoramic view. So as I said, something happens back here in the origin of Babylon uh, that makes Babylon particularly obnoxious to God. He hates Babylon. And as the whole history of the human race, uh, almost 6,000 years, right from the time of Noah, and it's very interesting to realize this, that Noah lived to see the Tower of Babel. He lived 350 years after the flood. He lived to see the building of the Tower of Babel. And it's quite possible that Noah shook hands with Abraham. See, we think they all died. We did this in our previous... Uh, gems from Genesis. So something that began in here and just develops here that the prophets are against it. Nowhere does God ever speak that we're going to you know, fix up Babylon and restore it in the sense of spiritual, but always judgment, judgment, judgment. And then we consummate. And then when it happens here, rejoice ye apostles and prophets. Why the apostles and prophets? Doesn't say re rejoice ye evangelists, pastors and teachers. Because Babylon's always tolerated those three ministries. But Babylon hates apostles and prophets. It says, Rejoice ye heavens and ye apostles and prophets, because God has avenged Babylon on you. A tale of two cities. Okay, let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter 11. All right, let's just pick out some of the uh, points about Babylon here in its origin. So I'm way over there in its origin. Okay, in Genesis chapter 10 and uh, 11, we're picking out our material from here. You'll notice, first of all, first thing I want you to pick up in the light of what I'll be saying later is that the founder of Babylon is Nimrod. This is the founder. I'll say this on the way through. When God says to Abraham, I want you to get out of Ur of the Chaldees, come out of Babylon unto a city that I will show you whose builder and maker is God. Oh, so here we have Nimrod, the founder of Babylon, and uh, Abraham and Nimrod didn't seem to get on too well. They hit it. Uh, go through some of the...
Jewish uh, Talmud uh, stories on the conflict between Nimrod and Abraham. So here, Nimrod, he's the founder and builder of Babylon, and God says to Abraham, come on, Abraham, you come on out of that city, and I'll bring you to a city whose builder and maker is God. So that becomes very meaningful there. Nimrod's name interpreted, Nimrod means the rebel. I want you to pick up these seed thoughts because we're in the book of uh, Genesis, the seed book. His name means rebel, so this Tower of Babel that he's going to build is, uh, is founded in rebellion. So its foundation is in rebellion. Nimrod, he's the founder. He, his name means rebel. Another interesting point, number two here, just say one, two where I can. Uh, Nimrod is the 13th from Adam. 13. So his name means the rebel. He's the 13th from uh, Adam, and 13 is the number of rebellion. So the whole of the Babylonian thing is founded in rebellion. And you think of our rebel culture today, and rebel society, and the things that have been founded on rebellion. That is Babylon. Anything that uh, you know, is founded in rebellion is going to end in confusion, because that's the end thing. And then we're told in verse 8 of chapter 10, uh, he began to be a mighty one, in the earth, a mighty one, a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior in the earth. Number three, a mighty warrior in the earth. Number four, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And this mighty hunter, he was a hunter of men. He was a hunter of the saints, a killer of the saints. Wasn't just hunting bears, koala bears. He was a mighty hunter of men in the earth. He killed the righteous. So number one, he, his name means the rebel. Number two, he's the, he's the number 13 from Adam. Number three, he's a mighty warrior in the earth. Number four, he's a mighty hunter of men in the earth, hunting the saints. Number five, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. This is just the beginning. And then from Babel, we have these other satellite cities Babylon being the mother and these other daughters being the, the, the other cities being like the daughter uh, Babylon the mother of harlots so this fellow was a kingdom builder the beginning of his kingdom he's a kingdom builder he's out to build a kingdom for himself the next thing you'll note that the, there are other cities here Nineveh as we touched on last week Sodom and Gomorrah. So you can see the type of cities that come out from the mother. So Babylon is the mother. And from the mother we have these wicked cities, Nineveh, Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other cities there. But you'll see these daughter cities come out from this, Nineveh, Sodom, and Gomorrah. Uh, remember what uh, God says about those cities and how they all come under judgment in due time and uh, you remember let's, let's, let's turn over to let's turn over the book of Revelation well, I've got this thought in mind 
Let's look at Revelation 17, and then we'll go back to Revelation 3. In uh, verse 4, Revelation 17, verse 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of fornications, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. So this woman has a name in her forehead. And in verse uh, 18 it says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, the woman and the city. So upon the, on the forehead of this woman is the name of a city. Revelation chapter 3 verse 12. Revelation 3 verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from out of heaven from God, and I'll write upon him my new name. So everyone in spiritual sense, we might say, is going to have the name of a city stamped on their foreheads. Upon her forehead was the name of Babylon, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. And what does the name always speak of in Scripture? Name in Scripture is always significant of what? Character, nature. So we take upon ourselves the name of the city who we identify with, the characteristics of that city, and the spirit of the city. So those who take upon themselves the spirit and the nature and the characteristics of Babylon will have that name in their forehead. But God says to Abraham, you get out of Babylon. You get away from that spirit and that nature and the characteristics of Babylon and come to a city that I'm going to show you, a city whose built and maker is God. And to him that overcomes, I'll write upon him the name of the city of my God. I'd like this name written on my forehead, wouldn't you? Because I'm leaving that city. As I said, this is a whole series in itself. But you see, the, 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 the clearer vision you and I get of the city of Jerusalem, the city that God is building, is building and maker is God, a city which has foundations, the, the clearer our vision is of th that city, the more we're going to leave that thing behind. And as our vision of this city becomes clearer, we're going to take on the nature and the spirit and the characteristics of that holy city, which is Jerusalem. See? And we're going to be cleansed ourselves. We're not only going to come out of Babylon, but God's going to get Babylon out of us. And that's a lifetime job. Right? So it depends which city we're headed for, doesn't it? All right, let's go to chapter 11 quickly. Time keeps moving so fast here. In chapter 11, I want to pick out now, we've looked at some of the points of the origin of Babylon, founded by Nimrod the rebel. It's the number 13, the number of rebellion. He's a mighty warrior and a hunter of men. He's a kingdom builder of the line of Ham and he has satellite cities that have that same wicked nature and character and spirit upon them as in the mother. Now characteristics of Babylon in chapter 11, this is what we see in verse 1. We notice that the whole earth was of one language or one lip, the margin says, and one speech or one word. In other words, we have the tremendous power of unity here. Tremendous power of unity. 
whether it's a true unity or an evil unity, unity is powerful. And so uh, in verse 2 we see how they journeyed from the east to a plain in the land of Shina. Uh, I wish we sort of, you know, had time to develop some of these things, but that's how the cookie crumbles. Uh, If you could hold Genesis chapter 11 and go over to Revelation chapter 21, uh, just this uh, comparative mention principle is very interesting here. Comparative mention principle. Uh, Genesis 11, hold that one, and we'll turn to Revelation 21. Because we're just contrasting and comparing these two cities. And I'm wanting to sort of prepare, uh, like for next week's study, of the call of Abraham to come out of Abram, come out of Ur of the Chaldees, when we see all that that was founded in. And uh, I'll show you a city whose builder and maker is God. Don't worry about leaving the city of Babylon whose builder and maker is Nimrod. And a city that doesn't have foundations, a city that man builds, trying to get from earth to heaven, Come and, show, uh, someone, come and I'll show you a city whose builder maker is God and it's a city that comes down from heaven to earth. It's God coming down to man, not Babylon, man trying to get up to God. And it's a city that has foundations. All right, look at the contrast here. Uh, uh, chapter 11 of Genesis, of course, said um, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. They found a plain. Revelation 21 and verse 9 and 10. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a, a plain. No, what to? To a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, are descending out of heaven from God. A bride city. A woman in a city. You see, we have a woman in a city here and the woman and the city bear the same name. Well, Jerusalem. There is a, a woman that is called Jerusalem. There's a city that is called Jerusalem. The woman in the city, the bride and the bride city, both bearing the same name because they have the same spirit, the same nature, the same character of God. City of light. Here's a woman in a city. Two distinct things, but having the same name, because the same evil spirit and evil characteristics in the woman city. We'll interpret that in due time. So here, Babylon is built in a plain. But the city of God is in a seeding great high mountain. Come on, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God. Let's go up to the mountain. So God's call is always come up to the mountain, not go down to the plain. That's where Babylon's built. All right, back to Genesis here. You'll notice the emphasis on us, us, us. In other words, uh, let's just read it and then we'll give an interpretive word here. And in verse 3, they said to one another, Go to let us make brick, verse 4, and let us build us a city, and let us make us a name, and so say all of us. Hip, hip, hooray. Let us, let us, let us, let us. The whole thing is humanistic. It is uh, atheistic, it is egotheistic, 
and it's humanistic. Because you see, here, here this whole thing, let us, let us, let us build, let us make us a name, the whole thing is self-centered, man-centered, humanistic. And they say, let us build us a city. Now remember the prophecy that we have to pick up here where these two women, one woman first of all with the uh, symbol of commerce. Isn't it interesting that you have it here, in fact you have it through the world. The woman sitting with the uh, ephah, the symbol of commerce. And here out of one woman comes two women and they say, where are you going? They say, we're going to build a house and establish it. Come on, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God. Uh, that in, the, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established. Well, that's one house being established. There's another one here. We're going to build a house and we're going to establish it upon her base, upon her foundation. And we're going to build it in the plain of Shinar. Hmm. And remember, this prophecy was given after Babylon was destroyed. And I know a lot of expositors say it'll never be rebuilt. Well, they want to read all. They want to read all these chapters I've given them here. So us, 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 us. Uh, they're going to build two things here. Let us build us a city. The city is political Babylon. And let us build us a tower. The tower represents religious ecclesiastical Babylon because the whole purpose of the tower was astrological. They're going to build, when you read history on this, the uh, signs of the zodiac the monthly prognosticators, everything that Isaiah 47, 48 tells us about the monthly prognosticators, the stargazers, they weren't going to try and get to heaven, but they were going to get to the heavenly so they could study the zodiac and study the signs of the heaven and the constellations and that same spirit that is, you know, a multi-billion dollar business of people reading the stars and astrology and the signs of the zodiac and monthly prognostications and the whole business. That shows the Babylonian setup that we're in. And the rest of the, of the ungodly world that's in that Babylonian system. Aren't, aren't you glad for Jerusalem, the city of God here? And the spirit. So this double thing, the city and the tower, the city represents the political Babylon and the tower, ecclesiastical, a religious thing, an occultic thing. And uh, what was the purpose of it? And you see, these characteristics I'm giving you, whether, whether it's uh, secular humanism or religious humanism, which is more subtle, uh, both are man-centered. And this is uh, how the spirit of Babylon can get into a church, into a denomination, into a local church. Because the whole thing is, let us make us a name. We want Bible Temple to have a good name. We want to make us a name. You know, what's their motive? Let us build us a city and us a tower. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Nimrod says, Come into my little tower. Come into my little demon nation. 
we're going to make us a name and I'm going to build us a tower and if you come into my little Babylonian tower, I'll get you to heaven. And I'm sorry to say that that spirit, you see, that, that spirit that gets into a church and into denominations many times because what is the motive? I've heard this over the years of ministry. Oh, we've got the greatest denomination in the world. We're just adding church. We've got thousands of churches and don't, we've got millions of dollars and we've got the greatest denomination, the greatest organization on the face of the earth. And I hear, I hear, oh, I hear, all I hear is, let us build us. We open this building in the name of the... Da-. And uh, it's that thing here. Only it becomes a religious humanism where man is the center instead of God. And we want to beware of that. Amen? I'm not interested in making Bible temple a name or making a name for myself. I'm interested in the name of the Lord. Aren't you? Yeah. Okay. As long as the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified, that's what matters. Yeah. Otherwise, it's that Babylonian spirit that gets into us, that Nimrodic spirit. <laughs> uh, let us make us a name, a reputation, self-exaltation. And what was the purpose on this? It's really in verse uh, 4, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. This is really in rebellion against God's command because after the flood, in Genesis 9, chapter, uh, one, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And they were to spread abroad upon the face of the earth. And they say, Oh no, lest we be uh, spread abroad upon the face of the earth, let us centralize. Let's not have outreach churches. Let's not be fruitful, multiply and spread abroad. Let's centralize and let us make us a great denomination. Lest we be scattered. So we have centralization and it was really a rejection of God's word to be fruitful. And you know, sorry to say, this thing started getting the early church because what did the early church do? When God blessed them, oh, they wanted to centralize. The big 12 apostles and I've been around long enough and know enough of church history that every visitation they want to set up their number 12 apostles and set up their little Jerusalem and make a great centralized government headquarters. How many know headquarters is up there? Okay. And we don't want to be scattered, see? So we centralize and that's what the early church was going to do. They wanted to centralize the Jerusalem. 3,000 souls, 5,000 souls, multitudes of men and women. They weren't going to let the gospel, if you want the gospel, come to our little thing at Jerusalem here. And so what did God do? God raised up Saul and a few other guys and a little bit of persecution. And uh, he scattered the disciples. And when he scattered the disciples, what did they do? They went everywhere preaching the word because when... The devil scattered the disciples. He scattered the seed sowers. And, uh, you know, as the song says, God did not compel them to go against their will, but he did make them willing to go. <laughs> and that was going to be the danger of the early church, centralization. And God said, listen, I want the gospel to go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the earth, and be fruitful and multiply and take the gospel to the earth. Talking about the natural and the spiritual. Anyway, eventually God came down and the whole thing ended in confusion. You can imagine the whole scene there when they're suddenly building the little tower there and the guy says, hand me a brick. 
Him blow go. Hand me a brick, you know, and everybody's running and trying to sort their little tongue out, and everybody's running to their little denominational tongue, little nation tongue. Here, click, there, click, everywhere, click, click. Until they sorted themselves out. And then when they got into their little tongues and their groups and started to go, they left off to build the town, started to go, then God caused the great continental drift and broke the whole thing up. Put the koala bears and the kangaroos over in Australia and me. Uh, (laughs) This confusion of language. You'll notice in verse 6, the people is one, they all have one language and nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do the power of imagination you see when I was a kid and when you were a kid some of us how many used to read the Buck Rogers comics see it was all just imagination and the funny how those Buck Rogers comics disappeared and they were my favourites but as soon as the Buck Rogers comics came into operation they started to go to you know the moon and that they disappeared but you see anything man imagines to do he can do it and God saw that image image imagination and when God confused their language this, this sort of language it's not just uh, confusing the speech it actually this language and speech where it says they were of one language and one speech one lip and one word uh, the confusion there uh, when God confused the thing it became symbolic of the mind, the thoughts, the reasonings, the imaginations, the concepts, and the understanding of which words, language, and speech about the expression. The confusion of speech created a communication gap. And this is evidence in the Western mind, the Eastern mind, the Northern mind. Whole thinking process is different. And uh, when you have to go through interpreters and translators and interrupters, uh, you can understand why east is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. I know when I was in, uh, in Thailand one time I had to go through two interpreters and, you know, that's something else. Japanese is enough, isn't it? Oh, glory, hallelujah. And I had to go through two interpreters and so I said, you know, a uh, complete sentence, uh, the, the, we're living in the last days, the Lord wants to build his church, something like that, and and the Chinese brother, he went, oh, yong, 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 and on he went, and so, oh, glory, hallelujah, the mouth. And the Thai brother, he just went, bong, bong. <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, have you finished? I, sa- I said, have you finished? He said, yeah. But I said, did you say all I said? He said, that's all you said, bong, bong. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I got the long and the short of it, and I thought, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. You certainly believe in the Tower of Babel after you travel, you know. And even in America, I mean, go to the different states here, listen to some of your accent. You people are just, you've been at the Tower of Babel, I can tell that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Babel originally meant the gate of God. But when God came down, it became confusion. So Babylon, the meaning of Babylon is simply religious confusion. It just, really, Babylon means confusion. It can be political confusion, religious confusion, either. 
And so when we say, well, are you coming out of Babylon? What do you mean by Babylon? There we have some wrong concepts. So, well, I'm coming out of my denomination. Well, you can get out of a denomination if you call denominationalism uh, Babel, Babylon. You can get out of that Babylon and, and, and get into your own little Babylon. And you just babble on. And Babylon, you know, that's, that's the type of thing you do. Because Babylon is a spirit. It's an attitude. It's a concept. Okay, that gets hold of, and you can be, as I say, you can be sort of in an undenominational denomination. You see, sometimes a denom- undenominational denomination and a non-sectarian sect are more sectarian than the sectarian sects and more denominational than the denominations. See, say that after me now. Everybody say it. Uh, because it, it's, a, it's an attitude, it's a spirit. See? Where, where, where man is the center, we want to make us a name and us a city and us a tower, get everybody into our little Babylonian thing and I'll get you to heaven if you come my way. No, it's the name of the Lord is the strongest tower. We're not pointing a Nimrod. We're not doing something that's founded in rebellion. We're doing something whose builder and maker is God and, and we're pointing to Jesus Christ. See? It's a whole spirit. And so, as I said, it's one thing for God to get his people out of Babylon. It's another thing for God to get Babylon out of them. And it took a few weeks for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of them, and some of them never did lose it. They're always remembering the leeks and the garlics and the cucumbers and fish, everything that gives you 40 foot of indigestion and bad breath and wind in the valley. Let's go to Zechariah 5. Now, in the vision that we have here, let's uh, pick up. I've only touched a little bit on this part here. I'd like to spend a whole series on it. But that, that, that we've touched enough on the spirit and the character and the founder. And the thing that's founded in rebellion always ends in confusion. Anything founded in rebellion ends in confusion. Uh, so we see the beginning of it here. Even though they left off to build the city, there was enough that carried on there from this line and then we see it coming to its glory and height here. All these are so powerful, these chapters here. See, then there's glory here, and then the unknown tongue and interpretation, the golden candlestick, the church at Babylon, and the fall as the Medo-Persian, uh, 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 Medo-Persian soldiers came up the riverbed and so forth. Then, 70 years later, we have uh, the remnant of Judah, the house of Judah, just a remnant, coming out of Babylon again to rebuild the city of God, Jerusalem. A tremendous picture of restoration. Then Zechariah, along with Haggai, gives this amazing prophecy. And so, uh, just running down to verse 9 again, he sees out of the one woman comes two women. And uh, these women had in their wings, like the wings of what sort of a bird? Now, uh, there's a woman in the book of Revelation that has wings too. What wings does she have? How many would like eagle's wings or stork's wings? I prefer the eagle. See, the wings of a stork, the stork is an unclean bird. Isn't it amazing again that uh, when they bring the little babies today, that dirty little stork is carrying the baby? Have you seen that? Why don't they shoot the bird? Let's get an eagle in there. Let's have the stork for the, the, uh, the ungodly and the eagle for the saints. Everybody would like that. Why did they pick the stork? Well, here's a woman with wings, the wings of a stork, not the wings of an eagle. 
And where is she flying? She's not flying into the wilderness where she has a place preserved, uh, prepared of God to preserve her. She's flying back to verse 11. He said unto me, they're taking the ephah, the, the symbol of commerce now, commercial Babylon, political Babylon. He said, we're going to build a house in the land of Shinar. Oh, well, isn't that where Babylon was built? A house? Oh, what a contrast. Come on, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God. And in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's will be, house will be established. Well, there's also another house. Wise man's house, foolish man's house. Both are being established and it shall be established and set there upon her own base, upon her foundation. Now, the thing that I want to say to you here, we've only got a few minutes, is this. Why is this prophecy given after Babylon has fallen? And when so many of the Bible expositors sorry to say, miss this whole thing and say, oh, well, the prophecies here in 13, 14, 47, 48 say Babylon will never be rebuilt. Well, they're missing something because they're uh, in the, uh, Revelation 17 and 18 and Zechariah 5, uh, these whole chapters are built on material taken out of Isaiah and out of Ezekiel. So if it's never to be rebuilt, are we going to spiritualize it? Let me just read um, just out of some of my notes here. Um, description of Babylon. The city of Babylon in Daniel's time was an exact square of 15 miles on the side or 60 miles around. It was surrounded by a brick wall of about 87 feet thick and 350 feet high. Um, on the walls were 250 towers and the top of the wall was wide enough uh, to allow six chariots to drive abreast. The base of the wall was 750 feet. There was an inside wall 250 feet high, inferior and narrower, but surrounding the city. Outside the great wall was a vast ditch surrounding the city, kept filled with water from the river Euphrates. There were 25 magnificent avenues, 150 wi uh, feet wide, which ran across the city from north to south, and the same number crossed them at right angles from east to west, making 676 great squares, each nearly three-fifths of a mile on a side. The city was divided into, into two equal parts by the river Euphrates, which flowed diagonally through it. Oh, you know, if we had time on these things. Here is Babylon that has a river running through it. Ah, oh, uh, show me Jerusalem, and he showed me the river of God. This city has a river. This city has a river. Depends whose river you want to paddle in. I mean, like the river of God and the city of God. Shall we gather at the river? Which one? <laughs> right, let's get God. Uh, and whose banks within the city were walled up and pierced through with brazen gates with steps leading down to the river. At the end of the main avenues on each side of the city were gates whose leaves were of brass and that shone as they were open or closed in the rising or setting sun like the leaves of flame, which uh, God prophesied through Isaiah that uh, they would leave the lead gates open and that was the only night in history they did. Um, let me skip a bit. Basically near one of these palaces in the middle of the city stood the temple or tower of Baal. This consisted of eight towers, each 75 feet high, rising one upon the other with an outside winding stairway to its summit, uh, which towers with a chapel on the top made a height of 600 feet. This chapel contained the most expensive furniture of any place of worship in the world, a golden image about 45 feet in height, and then the sacred utensils were reckoned to be dollar, uh, worth $2 million. There was a standing army at all times for security. Uh, Babylon also contained one of the seven wonders of the world, the famous hanging gardens. These gardens were 400 feet square and were raised in terraces, one above the other, to the height of 350 feet and were reached by stairways 10 feet uh, wide. 
It took uh, 103,000 slaves three years to haul the dirt for the garden in bags on their back. On their backs. The hall had the appearance from a distance of a forest-covered mountain, which would be a remarkable sight in the level plain of the Euphrates. Um, then go on. Now, let's just go through some of these things because what I'm saying here, and take it for what it's worth, time will prove it. I personally believe the city of Babylon is going to be rebuilt. Let me give you some interesting facts. The city of Babylon was captured in B.C. 541 by Cyrus. The only night they forgot to close the two leave gates. Uh, seven year, some years later, the city revolted against Darius Hystaspis, and after a fruit, fruitless siege of about 20 months, was taken by strategy, B.C. 516. About 478 uh, B.C., Xerxes, on his return from Greece, plundered the city and practically destroyed the great temple of Baal. In B.C. 331, Alexander the Great approached the great the city, which was powerful and flourishing again, and the citizens offered no resistance. They opened the gates to him and received him with acclamations. Then he revived his glory. His sudden death brought uh, the, the uh, revival of the city to its full glory to an end. Uh, during subsequent wars of his generals, Babylon su suffered much. Then we go down to, in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, Peter writes to the strangers and the church that is at Babylon. Interesting. 1 Peter 5, 13, this is A.D. 60. In the 5th century, Babylon was mainly inhabited by Jews, and it was here that the Babylonish Talmud was issued and recognized as authoritative by the Jews of the whole world. In 1917... Uh, in the, pardon me, in A.D. Uh, 917, Babylon is mentioned as an insignificant village, but still in existence. Uh, in A.D. 1100, uh, it grew to a small town again and was known as two mosques, and then later on it received the name of Hilla or Rest. In A.D. 1898, Hilla contained about 10,000 inhabitants and was surrounded by fertile lands and abundant date groves and so forth. In the Department of War, of, in the Department of War of France, Paris, there is seen to be the records of valuable surveys and maps made by order of Napoleon the first in Babylonian. Among them is a plan for a new city of Babylon. In 1850 AD, the British government sent out a military officer to explore the river Euphrates at a cost of $150,000. Uh, then uh, Emperor William of Germany desired to build a railway from the Asiatic side of the Bosporus by way of Aleppo to the Tigris River and from there to Baghdad via Babylon to Kuwait on the Persian Gulf. And most of the road has been built to Baghdad. This I got a number of years ago and there's been a lot come out on it. They want to rebuild Babylon. I'm not going to read it all. The Tower of Babel, biblical source of the world's languages, may soon rise again over the dusty plain once known as Mesopotamia. And they go through a little bit of the history I've just read to you, and then they end up saying, invitations are being sent out to the world's leading archaeologists, museums, and cultural organizations to take part in a conference to discuss ideas for the future of Babylon. Then they've got the, the archaeologists, the architects, landscape designers, comprehensive program to cost more than $23 million. And then they said it would be in three parts, conversation, conver conservation, of the existing ruins, particularly to protect them from the effects of underground water. Reconstruction, first phase will be rebuild the tower. And sections of the city walls and gateways, the hanging gardens might be recreated later, and so forth. And then if you pick up this church around the world, 
which is just September 1980, a replica of the Tower of Babel will be built near the possible original site in a project commissioned by the government of Iraq. Think what's happening over in the Middle East with Iran, Iraqi, and everything like that. Hebrews 11, now we'll appreciate as we head up to Abraham's call. In verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, and not until, to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 15, And truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Did Abraham ever get that city? How many are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God? How many feel they got something up the study tonight? Shake hands with each other. God bless you. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.